Pastor Michael, are you ready? Because tonight is Reformation Day Eve. Yeah. Uh, what is my favorite candy bar that I still eat? Is that the question? Of the, well, I like a lot. I like a lot of candy. Um, I'm lately, if I'm honest, I've been really digging the Kit Kats. Um, if I like, when I think back, uh, but I do. I love a good Butterfinger too. Like a good crisp Butterfinger is pretty, pretty That's delicious. Nice. I will enjoy a Butterfinger. Uh, maybe I'll try and decide which of these videos will be my favorite and enjoy it at that point. I will also <laughs> be enjoying a. For everyone who cares, who is uh, not ashamed, I'll be enjoying a Hinterlands Oktoberfest beer tonight in honor of Reformation Day. Um, I mean, I think Kit Kat kind of cheats because don't they make? No, that's Reese's. That make now makes a dark chocolate one, so it's not probably trash candy. But yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't count. I do not have an Oktoberfest beer with me, but I did drink one yesterday. Because we had um, a kind of Reformation Sunday party, very last minute. We just, in the morning and at church, we just invited whoever we could think of that might want to come and um, had, a, had a meal together and got to just sit around and chat and, and it was a blast. So um, we've just been doing, I mean, it's just, this is like, it's like a full week of festivities. Um, now we get to do Reformation Day Eve. That's right. Before we go on, uh, we do have a book to give away to patrons. It's not going to come. You should take the, the, you have your, uh, thing set for, um, blurring your background. And so nothing shows up but your face. Oh. <laughs> so you're, you keep showing stuff none. to us and none of us can see it. Now it looks like I'm in a bunker. And so that's maybe, <laughs> we are going to give away a cop, two copies of this book. One to our latest patron who is Daniel Rohde. So, Daniel, you did it, man. And uh, Tim Bochamp, who is a longtime patron. So, Tim, uh, I think we have your address, but if you would send it to us when you hear this, if you're not on the live stream tonight, send it to us. We will send you a book of reformed worship. Um, and so we would love to send you that. But, Pastor Michael, tonight we are here for one thing and one thing only, uh, to celebrate Reformation Day Eve and help people feel really protestant tomorrow on reformation day by reacting to trad cath tiktoks pastor michael just in case we have a listener later by the way if you're listening to this on the podcast this is definitely going to be a video show most of the sound you will hear um will have words with it so you will be able to follow along if you're only an audio person but you may want to come find the video of this later especially now that they made me unblur my background and you get to see the the kind of basement I have. Um, but Pastor Michael, in case anyone listening of our many listeners, video and especially audio, don't know what a trad cath is, would you please uh, enlighten us so we're prepared for what we're about to watch? Oh, man, maybe I'm not the right guy to enlighten us about this. Um, so the trad cats, though, are generally, um, this is my experience, which... Though limited, I live in uh, an area that is uh, predominantly Catholic, and um, so so you have the, I guess Catholic and Lutheran, and mm -hmm. so we get we get both of that. But um, this is something that I've just you know grown up around quite a bit. But the track counts, especially online, tend to be uh, younger folks who are working to uh, you know get back to 
the historic side of the faith. A lot of times this goes with the, the harder core Latin mass folks um, who want, uh, want the real Catholicism. They want to get back to what is real, not all this uh, modern mumbo jumbo. Um, what are they becoming Protestant? I mean, seriously. And so anyway, a lot of times they're pretty, I mean, it's like the Theo bros, right? It's, it is the Catholic version of the Theo bros online. It is certainly the cage stage Calvinist of the Catholic world. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that apparently they have the right to dissent from practices in the church um, as as Roman Catholics. But that did you see that great? Uh, you know, there was a great uh, thing at one point where uh, Matt Walsh, you know, known political commentator uh, who is Roman Catholic, just did this. He did this whole post once, like there needs to be this you know kind of revival in the church and all these things need to change and because of all of the you know ethical decline and all these other issues um uh well, like for the pope himself and all of these you know and, yeah. and for much of the church broadly um uh, we need some kind of change we need some kind of revival and <laughs> and somebody and many people uh but but uh but someone did comment this did already happen it is called the Reformation. <laughs> it is It is indeed. Now, I will say one thing. I just want to be a little defensive about what we're going to do. One, friends, we're here to have a good time. So that's that's part of what made me choose the reels we'll be reacting to. So as I mentioned, I have two young friends, um, young Christian men who sent me these. They needed me to correct. These are not TikToks. These are reels. They give their data to big usa horrible corporations not china they wanted that clear <laughs> so you'll notice everything you watch Instagram. And, uh, and two i'm picking these one because i think these are a particular good time and they sent me 50 so i had to choose some because there was no way we were going to be able to do all of those tonight um and two another person may go if we have a catholic listener um Maybe maybe we do have some. We've had I don't know um, if we still do, but we've had Catholic patrons um, who have joined even our Patreon, which admittedly skews anti-papist. <laughs> and so, and we even warned them. We were like, "Hey, you're more than well, you know, yeah, you're more than welcome here. We we love you guys. I have many uh, Roman Catholic friends. Um, they're just wrong. The 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 podcast budget is paid for by Catholic dollars as easily as protestant ones now <laughs> but, but let me be a little defensive because someone may say you know you know how paul sometimes says that someone may say um it doesn't feel like you chose the best and the brightest like right we're not we're not going through you know people quoting papal bulls and like papal statements and the men who are able to quote all of the church fathers on their position well to that person i say two things one i'm not Gavin Ortland, and he looks nothing like Dr. James White. Neither of us are Baptists. And so there are people who do that. God has called some people to be the big brain responders. We are <laughs> responding today to like the things people actually hear in their real life. About this is real. This is such a good point. And, and hey, we're not alone, right? Not every uh, person who takes on Protestantism from a Roman Catholic perspective is Trent Horn. Right. right. In fact, the vast majority of them do a lot of the goofy things that a lot of Protestants do, too. Right. Like, there's plenty of Protestants that have very goofy 
and silly ways of of trying to combat Roman Catholicism or argue against it. Um, and that like they are not the best best way to represent Protestantism. But our Roman Catholic friends also have no problem <laughs> kind of smacking that down and being like, look at these silly Protestant. Look at this, you know, mega church evangelicalism. Isn't it right. isn't it ridiculous what Protestantism has done? Um, so, hey, we're going to do it, too. And I'm OK. By the way, I'm OK if you do that. Yeah. You can do that, but I'm doing it back. Right. And and so not only is it fair, but two, I actually think in a sense, this is a bit more helpful than like yeah. you are just not going to meet someone who's like, let me quote you the first 300 years, like from all the early church fathers and 25 like scholars that we need that. It's important. It's just not what people deal with every day. And so we are here because we are men of the people, Pastor Michael. We are men of the people. Restless is a podcast of the people. Of the people, for the people, by two PCA pastors. And <laughs> we're happy to be here. So, Pastor Michael, I think where we should start, I have a lot of these, but the one that I think we'll start with is by a guy who, I don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's pretty well known. At least these two guys see a lot of his clips because if people really like this, we could do an entire thing where we just watch this guy's clips because I got so many. But I think we're going to start with an example of a Roman Catholic doctrine that if there's any Roman Catholic doctrine that that shows us development um, or even what Gavin Ortland calls accretions, if you like big words, doctrines that um, developed over time on a non-biblical framework. We should start with the Marian dogmas. So let's watch a uh, a reel here about the Marian dogmas. You need to be praying to Mary. Not one place in the Bible are you going to find that the Bible says, yeah, you need to go to Mary. Well, it's interesting because I'm sure this guy is aware that we have an Old Testament as well. And in the Old Testament, the people that were part of the kingdom of Israel, when they wanted to ask the king for a favor, when they had a request to make of the king, they would actually go to the mother of the king, who was the queen, the queen mother. They would go to the queen mother and they would ask that she bring their request to the king. And we know that Jesus Christ is the true king. He is the king of the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, he is the king of heaven. And because Jesus is a Jew right now at this moment in heaven, Jesus Christ is a Jew. And heaven is the new Israel, the new Jerusalem. That means that Jesus's mom is the queen mother. Just like for the entire history of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the queen mother, the queen of Israel was always the mother of the king. And we see countless times in the Old Testament that people would go to the queen mother to ask the king for a favor, that she asked the king for a favor. And also in John chapter 2, we see that Mary herself actually interceded for the people at the wedding at Cana. She went to her son and she asked him for a favor and he granted that favor even though he said that it wasn't his time yet meaning that mary actually influenced jesus to do something for somebody else so pastor michael um let's this guy guys he has a great voice by the he, way he He's has got a, a solid voice he knew he knew god gave him a voice to be a online roman catholic apologist uh, <laughs> now pastor michael let's start here so this is he's reacting to a 
a Protestant pastor, of course he finds one in like a backwards hat and yeah. jeans. Like somehow, somehow no other Protestant out there is saying maybe you shouldn't. Wait, let's just put this out there. If like if you're Roman Catholic and you're like, look how goofy these guys look, I can send you a video of a German Roman Catholic priest rapping with a goofy hat on. So let's just not go there, right? Let's not go there. So so Pastor Michael, so he he makes the point that, of course, he agrees. And I'm so glad. Let's all say the New Testament. Let's say it all together, everyone. The New Testament never says to pray to Mary. Wow, that's a big <laughs> step, everybody. Um, but fortunately for him and every, evidently everyone else, there is an Old Testament, which <laughs> might be news to someone who isn't as familiar with their Bible. And I won't say what tradition that tends to be from. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we can say it, Matt. It's not the ones that believe in Sola Scriptura. Yeah, you're probably, <laughs> I mean, it's just. It's probably not them. But Pastor Michael, countless times throughout the Old Testament. Oh, God, countless, over and over. It's, it's on every page. <laughs> character known as the Queen Mother. And people are going to her for help to influence the. Uh, king of israel pastor michael could you just could you help us with the countless times this happens throughout the old testament so i might need your help maybe i'm forgetting um something <laughs> that's funny uh that that's so good uh so the the one that i can think of off the top of my head is uh is bathsheba this is um, the going to time. david this um is in order to to help secure the throne for solomon that's right. Now, uh, like that's that's what I can think of. Can you think of more? Absolutely not. Um, there might be. I, I I'm trying to think I if mean, you know some, for instance, like Josiah when he's young. Is there something with his mother? I don't remember. I would guess Esther. That he'd probably point to Esther as an example. The queen of going speaking, not, even though that's not in Israel, of course. Yep. Right? Um, I guess he'd point to that. Um, he may even think that that's a Israelite uh, situation, but I don't know. Um, let's just say for, I think, I don't know any fair reader of the old Testament that would conclude it's countless, that it is something that appears to be normative. The story yeah. with Bathsheba is actually all about how weak David has become. Yes. And that a group of people have to orchestrate a plot to try. Yeah. And, and it's not just the queen, by the way, right? It's, it's the queen. queen with the, uh, with Nathan, the prophet. Um, so even this, like, this just shows you where typology can go way off the rails. Yeah. Like, there's typology that's really helpful. Um, and especially, you get that when you read, for instance, the apostles in the New Testament, when they have the opportunity to write scripture that we all agree on, by the way, that we all agree is scripture, and never <laughs> drew out this particular typology. Weird. Weird how that is. Um, but, uh, but even in that story, let's try to do the typology from that the the queen going to her son to ask on behalf of somebody else that's that's not what happens the Oops. queen goes to her husband the king in order to ask something for her son um, and both david and solomon at different points and in different ways are clearly representative of and type type typologically pointing to christ uh, but like, if you try to do just a straight typology in that way, right. As he's saying from that story, it gets really goofy, really fast. Yes. And so again, and 
and again, it would be something if the law had imagined a role for the queen or the queen mother, <laughs> the one who would, you know, like if Isaiah, when he made prophecies of the virgin who would be born with child, right, that 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 would have some continuing ongoing significance, right? If all if this was an image coming up that some a, a heavenly woman was a constant image coming up. That would be countless. Other, other than, you know, when Israel is condemned for worshiping uh, the queen of heaven. Other than that. <laughs> uh, right. But again, and what Pastor Michael laughed at earlier for our audio listeners is the mention, the most prominent queen and queen mother in the Old Testament is Queen Athaliah. And she is the, she is evil. She is an example of a godless, horrible ruler. And so this typology doesn't work out. Pastor Michael, should we leave it there for the sake of getting through more of these? Or do you want to address the wedding at Cana at all? Which is actually, to his credit, a story where Mary does ask Jesus for something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I think it's good to address. Um, so it is true. Um, Mary asks, asks something of her son. Um, by the way, um, if. Let's just like put this in that, you know, kind of hypothetical, right? If. If Christ is fulfilling all righteousness, adhering to the law, honoring father and mother, um, yeah, of course there's going to be times that he listened to his mother. <laughs> it's like, of course, like to, to draw from that um, something beyond. But also, like when you think about the typological, typological or symbolic significance of the wedding at Cana, the very first, um, the very first of Christ's miracles. Um, it it is not primarily teaching you uh, the role of Mary, right? That's not primary. Um, right. Maybe you want to say it teaches us something. Sure, I mean she's she's a part of it. That's not the point of the story, right? The point of the story is that it's a wedding feast that he takes water and he turns it into wine. Wine being uh, a symbol that's used throughout the Old Testament for uh, for peace from enemies, for victory, and specifically tied to the the blessings of the covenant that are given to Israel only once they are in the land. Um, uh, specifically as they, they have to cross through the Jordan through water, and then they can participate in the harvest of grapes, the creation of wine, and get to participate in a drink offering. And this is, you know, it's that plus the typological significance of marriage. And so even here, by the way, it so many things go off the rail when you, you try to make, um, Mary significant primarily as a mother. Um, whereas when you try to trace a lot of the, the imagery throughout the Old Testament, um, the, as it's moving toward the new and the way that the new then uses those things, um, it's actually the, the primary significant image is the, the woman, right? Like the woman who's both mother um, and bride, and really, this points to the church, right? Yeah. Like this, this is typologically significant of the church throughout the Old Testament. Yes. Now, let me actually make one point that I think you made very well with the wedding of Cana. That will allow me to state the basic Protestant objection to the overall Marian dogmas and the idea of Mary, right? The, the Hail Mary prayer, right? These kinds of things. Is Do you know what's interesting? So we just talked, he just talked about the wedding at Cana. And do you know what it caused him to do? It caused him to overlook the surpassing glory of Jesus that is revealed there mm. because he made it about Mary, which the story is not about. 
The story is about the man who grants the request and what it reveals about him and all the things you and, and in all the ways you talked about, right? So this just again, it it just displays the yes. why oh, man. this concern. And this I know that we're gonna have, you know, uh Catholics to say, listen, that's just like that's just you know what Protestants say. We don't at all, right? We don't we don't do that at all. I literally just listened to a podcast the other day with pretty like very well thought out trad Catholics, um, who I like, by the way, it's, it's not even, a, it's not about theology. Um, it's more about farming and butchery and those sorts of things. Uh, but like, you know, um, generally like people who are very, very, um, very well read, very thoughtful people, um, very, uh, you know, consistent Roman Catholics in the kinds of people who moved across the country just so they could be a part of a Latin mass church, right? Like that kind of Roman Catholic. And they were talking about, how much glorious, more glorious, um, the uh, the uh, bodily assumption of Mary was than even the resurrection of Jesus wow. and the ascension of Jesus. Because when when she was welcomed into heaven, there were more saints there than wow. there were before, and so it was more glorious, wow. <laughs> right? Like that. This is so yeah. out of control. I know you guys don't. It's it's like you don't see that. I don't know how, that but is. that's that's just absurd. And and by the way, Mary would be appalled by that. That's right. <laughs> Mary would weep um, were she to know. Now, Pastor Michael, um, this next one is a really short clip, and it's just about why we love the Roman Catholic Church. Obviously, they are speaking of uh, as trad cats. So this is a very brief clip, and so um, we hope. Uh, uh, we hope we hope you enjoy this clip and we will react to it after. So the clip's already over, and I think the answer is idolatry. <laughs> I love how much so many people are gonna hate this. <laughs> clip it, clip it. That is that is beautiful. So, oh. Pastor Michael, um, I think, but I, here's why I included this, other than that we we, we got a great clip for it. Um, I think this video very much explains what has become so attractive about very traditional Roman Catholicism. The aesthetic, the, the very ornate, traditional um kind of like you know the the rigor the asceticism yep. um the you know all of the the things that appeal to your senses um yeah. and so I, I i mean i really think that that this is the answer that is why people love the roman catholic church yeah yeah i've been uh you know i've been thinking a lot lately about how you know we we like to think that we um we we make changes theologically in what we believe and what we believe God to be on the basis of like some kind of logic, right? Like we figure out the truth and then that guides us. Yeah. Uh, but none of us actually do. Actually, we're driven by our desires. We're driven by our desires, uh, by what we, by our affections, by what we, we want, um, what we long for. And um, that's, you know, that's not to say that that's always wrong. It's just why we need to be given new hearts. Um, it's, it's why we need to have changed hearts so that we desire the things of God so that we can set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, that's, that's why <laughs> that has to happen. I missed, but uh, that was such a quick video. I feel like I, like I 
I don't really know all that it showed. I was waiting to like see, okay, what's going on? There's a lot of like wearing veils. Uh, you know, images which of you the- got. By the way, got the Theo Bros with you on that one. Yeah, let me let me. I'll just I can play it again. I won't play the sound so we can talk over it. But it's just right. It's just imagery from right Roman Catholic churches. You know, the incense, all yeah, of that. A lot of incense burning, those uh, sorts of things. And and again, I think that's what's attractive. And I think again, it it makes a claim like it like it communicates that. This is something beyond right what your your normal life, which guess what, everybody? This is the thing our big box evangelical friends need to hear. Uh, people, people are going to want this in increasing amounts. Um, I actually was listening to again a Roman Catholic. So it's funny, Pastor Michael and I both li- listen to Roman Catholics fairly regularly. Um, and they were talking about the they were even being willing to admit that Catholics at times. I idolize like aesthetics that they make too much of aesthetics, right? Again, if we think about a church that at one point was worshiping in catacombs, totally makes sense that mm. if the thing you most associate with the church is this it's kind purely of- the outward, like visible um, parts of this or like the, you know, visible is not the right word, uh, but think about so much of what Christ has to tell um, the religious leaders of Israel about the you know the the nature of of their kind of religiosity that it was a religiosity of the outward without the inward right uh, and so that's like that is such a common sin it's such a common thing for us to do uh, that you got to be careful and and then he said I think the Protestant failing is often they don't try hmm. right they are not producing like high valuable like they're not attempting it which we probably he and again and i probably would agree we don't have the right to not try not try because again go to turkey go start seeing the cave paintings and in the catacombs in italy they start completely ornately begin painting and or uh, you know like decorating these things and again even in even before uh images of christ were common mm-hmm. they start doing this because they there is a sense there is a rightness uh you know to wanting to to pour out uh worship right wanting to try and match our surroundings to what we say we believe in what is going on yeah um but again i think right like this is why it's like yeah man i would rather be with the like actually faithful bible church in their like pull barn outside of town than in the downtown cathedral which i grant is a much better building much better place if the word of god and the actual power of the holy spirit in the love of the saints and his word is found you know in the pole barn yeah right like that's what and that you know that again time and time again you see this in the life and ministry of christ um i can actually say unlike the the first guy <laughs> like there are countless examples not count i could we could count them but there are a lot of examples, more than a queen mother speaking to her son on behalf of others, um, of of Jesus warning about the kind of religiosity that's purely aesthetic, right? Yep. That's that's just that like purifying of the outward man. Um, it doesn't mean that that doesn't matter, right? That's not what Jesus right. said. That's not what he meant. Um, but it it is a su- supreme danger um, that you would wash the outside of the cup. 
and leave the inside alone. That you would you would uh, pray. We just were working through the Lord's Prayer um, in, at uh, church on Sunday, and and you know Jesus starts in in the Gospel of Matthew anyway before getting into the prayer. He speaks of how you know um, there there are those who go and they will pray on street corners, right? Like they'll pray in order to be heard, right? So that's now obviously Jesus doesn't mean you can't pray and other people hear you, right? Um, you can't do public prayers, right? He did, <laughs> but uh, what is that like? He means something by that. That's very serious, and you need to be aware of it. And and I again, we don't need to. It was so quick, we should move on, but. Again, if you go to your downtown, um, now, again, maybe there is an evangelical problem here, but product, Catholics do not have a corner on the market of pretty churches. Yeah. Right? Go to every downtown area, Protestant church, right? There, this is, there is a Protestant value to this. I, I would grant the evangelicals, and there's historical reasons for this of the last 40 years don't. Um, have much of a share in that, but it's not just evangelicals, right? It's the world, right? It's it's like the entire the entirety of the West, which is you're right. What one of the things that does make a lot of the trad cat stuff sometimes uh, very attractive, right? In in different ways, um, that along with other other kinds of kind of aesthetic renewal. All right, Pastor Michael, I'm busting out my butterfinger because I think this is going to be my favorite video for the night. <laughs> um, so I hope you enjoy it as much, everyone, as I have. Oh, I hate it so much. Michael, uh, this one I probably need to at least say. Uh, the the video begins with uh, a thing that says Protestants, faith alone saves you, Catholics. And then it is a guy uh, dancing, dancing to probably the reason it's my favorite, uh, dancing to that great Holland Oates song, You Make My Dreams Come True. Hopefully that won't get this video flagged on YouTube. Uh, that Hopefully that was short enough. Um, <laughs> And and then sharing all these verses, and that's another great thing about this video, Pastor Michael. He's got all these verses, and he I'm glad somebody in the Roman Catholic Church is reading some of the Bible. <laughs> that's well, Pastor Michael. It's a pretty big own on Protestants when they can quote all these verses where it talks about other things that save you or other things like that you you know that James says faith alone won't justify you. Um, Pastor Michael, I want to help all of our Protestants. Actually, first, give me your reactions. You were, uh, you were pretty, um, you were pretty unhappy there. Uh, why don't you give your, uh, your reaction to the video? Then well, I'll I'm just react. I'm just reacting to the video itself. Like a guy in a dress who's like, who's just dancing goofy, trying to own people. It's just, it's like, let's just say this. How often do Protestants uh, get told about how lame they are? Like how, you know, we just watched that video about aesthetics and, and just how like, you know, how 
how truly beautiful and, and right the Roman Catholic Church is and the mass is and the architecture and everything. And, and then you have this goofy dude, like just like this is as silly as the kind of stuff you will get in an evangelical church, right? He might, I mean, he might as well just be doing like a skit and. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Michael, if I were 20 and a trad cat, this is the exact video I would make. So I take a little bit of offense. <laughs> so here's the first thing. Like if a, um, if, if you're a Protestant and someone brings this up to you and they're like, well, look at all these, um, I've got all these verses. You guys say faith alone saves you, you fools. You should say, yeah, you're right. It would be interesting to think about if we said faith alone saves, because you know what we also say? Christ alone saves. Grace alone saves. Um, you know, like the there are more solas involved. And so what it must mean is we mean something else other than the only thing you can possibly mean when we say, when we talk about salvation is faith that that's the only thing right. you can speak about it's so funny like going to james it's this is this is the move of of uh you know the the atheist that that you know opens the bible and shows you a verse that you're like look this is contradictory to everything that you believe you yeah. said god was love but then he did this thing or, or something like that and it's like oh no i never read that Oh wait, yes I did. <laughs> like that's that's just not actually a problem when you think about it for more than a second. Right. And so again, I think the the real question is can like here's the question faith alone gets at uh from the Protestant Reformation. And again, we could do an entire we could do the rest of the live stream on faith and how faith saves. Um the question is, which one of us can work through Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 and the book of Galatians using our understanding of salvation and faith's role in it? That's the question, right? When in Romans 4, Paul says, God justifies the ungodly. He accounts to the not working one righteousness by faith. He declares the blessed man is the one who will not have his transgressions counted against him. The question is, right, the question at the deep end of the day is, are you the blessed man? Are you the man who, who God won't count his trans transgresses against? And Paul says that is the man of faith. That's the question we're answering when we say faith alone. Right, yeah. Um, again, there's so, again, there's a lot of ways we could do this, right? I think, again, um, Charles Hodge, right, he, he was famous for saying in his commentary on Romans that, it's actually wrong to say faith saves, but Christ saves you through faith. Right. You know, like, again, there's... Which is oh. what, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, obviously you see the, you you just see the five solas, uh, and you just see faith alone. Oh, look, they must mean this. Right. They must mean that, right? Uh, well, in fact, no, that's just, it's just saying uh, that you're saved by grace through faith. In Christ, right? Just just as it says over and over again, yeah. you know, like that's yep. that's what we're saying. That's right. That's right. We're saying that there are not. I don't bring merits to it. I don't uh, appeal to the merits of the of the saints. I don't buy it. I right again. Th there are there are many things it it excludes. But again, the other way to think about this is. When you think about a system of religion, 
and you think about what it says about salvation, a thing we should be able to agree on. Do you know what Paul says? The way the gospel saves over and over. He says it excludes all boasting so that no man may boast. And so the question you should ask, whether you're talking to an Arminian, whether you're talking to, especially if you're talking to a Roman Catholic, if what you're saying about how I am saved is true, would it exclude all boasting? And if you are able to work all the systems of merit and avoid mortal sins and right, do your part and even have works of super irrigation beyond that, right, the, the burning off extra sins in purgatory, I contend to you, you cannot say that this excludes all boasting, right? This is what we're getting at with faith alone. Yeah. Great. Anything else on this one? Or should we go to one directly addressing issues of the Reformation, addressing everyone knows, everyone say it with me in the audience, who's Matt's favorite? Martin Luther. We're going to, uh, we are going to watch a video on what do Roman Catholics think about Martin Luther? Wow. Yeah. So let's, let's pull her up. Nobody asked that question on Twitter, but I saw people bring up Martin Luther. So he's a heresy arc. Okay. which is like an arch heretic. Like he's a real bad heretic. The bad thing about Luther is, is he believed in justification by faith alone. And when he translated Romans chapter three into German, he actually wrote justi justified by faith alone. But in the Greek, there is no alone. He added that word in the Romans chapter three. So all these German people read the Bible. Oh yes, it's faith alone right here in the Bible. No, you're excommunicated. You can't just like add words in the Bible to make your pet theory work. So yeah, Luther is... He's a bad guy, and he's a heretic. <laughs> I love it. No, you're excommunicated. Um, so, Pastor <laughs> Michael, um, pa uh, Martin Luther is a arch heretic uh, a, or a heresy arch. Um, Pastor Michael, do you want to know the figure? Maybe you know the answer to this. Who is the figure in church history that has been, like, almost universally referred to as the arch, arch heretic? Of all. Um, I'm not sure. Is it is it Arius? It is Arius indeed. Okay. Um, Arius is the arch heretic. When the early church and the church throughout most of time has referred to an arch heretic, they've been referred to Arius. Now let's let's think about what Arius said. Arius's teaching that he propagated throughout Christendom was there's a time when the sun was not. What Arius <laughs> wanted everyone to believe was there was a time when the Son of God, who came to save us from our sins, did not exist did not share in the full divinity. So what the only reason I bring that up is because this man is comparing Martin Luther to someone who held to something that blasphemous. Right. An Augustinian monk. Yes. Martin Luther, um, who, who said, Hey, I like, I think that we got some of this stuff wrong. We should change that. And yep. then when he was under the threat of death constantly and being of German temperament, he maybe got a little, a little excited at times, <laughs> but, but he was awesome. <laughs> but... He was awesome. Ride or die with Martin Luther forever. Um, now, Pastor Michael, um, he, he mentions, right. He mentions the great heresy Martin Luther propagated, right. Salvation, justification. Now he actually is being a little more technical justification by faith alone, which mm -hmm. is a statement that I would be able to affirm wholeheartedly that I believe the scriptures teaches wholeheartedly. And he mentions this scheming move this arch heretic did. 
adding words to the Bible. Yes. Now, um, Pastor Michael, before we get to that, because we're going to get to that, we are going to go into the weeds on this one because you don't step to, you don't step to my arch heretic, baby. Right. <laughs> John Calvin called the our apostle uh, and not expect me to pull out a letter from Martin Luther in 19, uh, 1530. So, all right. Wait, okay. By the way, I should say, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've heard a bunch of Roman Catholics say, this guy Taylor Marshall, I don't know who he is, but I see him pop up once in a while, and they're like, oh man, he's doing bad for us. Like, he's, <laughs> he's making us look so bad. Uh, like, that's... Yeah, well, it, I saw a doctor, so I don't I don't know. He's a... He claims, he's a doctor. He claims to be the doctor. The doctor. <laughs> so, so, Pastor Michael, do you want to respond um, to any of this? By the way, um, I want to. I want to hear. Do you, you said you have a? Oh, you're Pastor, gonna read something from oh, yeah, the man so, himself. I'd like to hear this. So, Pastor Michael, do you think uh, it took till 2023 with a man with the intellect of Dr. Taylor Marshall to realize that the word "only" is not found in Romans three? Do you think that that was a? Oh, real I'm pretty sure not. Once again, right? Like the <laughs> the the. It's such a it's such an obviously uh, like it's such an obvious thing that to assume that nobody's caught it, nobody's thought of it, nobody's responded to it. Like there is that kind of, of straw manning mm. that's super easy to do. It's super easy to fall into, but it's, it's just so obvious that somebody would have responded to this. Do, now, pastor Michael, I'd, I'd like to ask another question. Um, do you think perhaps Martin Luther, when he released his translation, immediately commented on the addition of that word, like the year he released the German? <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and guess yes. Yes, he did. Now, because, of course, Martin Luther, not being a fool, knew immediately this was going to be brought up to discredit him. Now, can I... Can I say one more thing about Martin Luther's translation note? We are about to read a very brief section of Martin Luther's um, Martin Luther's open letter on the translation of the Greek. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the German New Testament. Um, I will put this in the show notes in case you want to read it, uh, because this is written from Nuremberg in fifth uh, September fifteenth, fifteen thirty. Now, what's great about this, Pastor Michael, is I doubt you've ever, I, most people listening to us have probably never read the translation notes at the beginning of their Bible that explains their translation methodology. Right. Let me tell you, if they were written in the style Martin Luther wrote these, everyone would love translation no notes. Um, so I'll read. So editors, translators, take note. Remember take, this. Take note because this is the best. So let me just start with, for example, um, Martin Luther first discusses why um, he didn't uh, use uh, Roman Catholic resources or consult them in his translation. Uh, and then I'll go to the part where he actually discusses this first. But this is just too funny. He said, on the first hand, if I, Dr. Luther, had thought all the papists together were capable of translating even one passage of scripture correctly and well, I would have gathered up enough humility to ask them for their aid and assistance in translating the New Testament into German. That's, <laughs> that's where he starts. It's so great. He's um, so hardcore, man. You got to love him. Oh, you, you got to love him. Okay. So here we go. So, um, he starts with, um, 
you know, explaining, right? So the word obviously in Latin um, for alone is sola, which is where we get our, the word sola, uh, you know, the five solas of the Reformation, um, because it's referring to the Latin terms for those. So now this is his discussion on Romans 3. I also know in Romans 3, the word solum is not present in the Greek or Latin text. The papists did not have to teach me that. Neither did Dr. Taylor Marshall. It is a fact. The letters S-O-L-A are not there. And these knotheads stare at them like cows at a new gate. (laughs) While at the same time, they do not recognize it conveys the sense of the text. If the translation is to be clear and accurate, it belongs there. I want to speak German since it was to the German I had spoken of for translation, not Latin or Greek. It is the nature of our language to speak about two things. One, in translation, not, uh, sorry, when one thing is afferred, the other is denied. We use the word solum or along with our word for not, nine, or no, kind. Uh, and then he gives examples from German grammar of how their language works that ways. And he says there are a vast number of everyday cases where we use sola and um, not. In all these phrases, this is the German usage, even though it is not the usage in Latin or Greek. It is the nature of our German tongue to add alien or knight or kind uh, that it may be clearer and more complete. To be sure, I can say the farmer brings in grain, not money, but the words uh, adding with money and not or only. Right. Again, I'm going to skip that. We don't have to ask about the literal Latin. We're trying to translate into German as the asses do. We must rather ask the mother at home, the children in the street and the common person in the market about this. We must be guided by their tongue, the manner of their speech, and do the translation accordingly. Then they will understand it and recognize we are speaking German to them. Mm. So, Pastor Michael, what we learn, shockingly, is he had a translation methodology from the beginning that influenced why he used the word sola. And guess what? It's not because he knew what the five solas of the Reformation were, which is what this guy's indicating. Um, So number one, that that is awesome. And also, man, praise God. Praise God uh, for someone who's like, I want all of these people to have the scriptures and to be able to know it and hear it. And like, I will always be on that guy's team, right? Like, that's my team. And I love it. I love my team. Um. Number two, this is such an obvious and clear fact about translating anything. That's right. Right now, when you tie your entire religion to one physical place, one particular kind of people, and one particular language, even though God himself has made many, (laughs) then you, like, of course you're going to run into the problem of, wait a minute, when you translated that, it's not just the Latin as we translate it, like... Well, yeah, because it's different. But uh, that, like the the idea that just because of that, then that translation is the problem, right? Like that that's the false one simply because it's not the way that we did it. Um, if you read um, scripture in the original text, so I've been doing a lot of work through the Proverbs, right? Um, or even, you know, we just uh, did a, a series on the Ten Commandments at our church. Uh if you read the Ten Commandments in English, if you recite them in English, uh, whether you are uh, whether you are Protestant or Roman Catholic, dare I say, you Roman Catholics too, um, you probably 
uh, say a lot more words than you actually find in the original text of the Hebrew. Yeah. Right? It, you, you probably don't just say, no murder. You probably say, thou shalt not murder. Right. That's probably what you say. Well, it doesn't say that. Though you're adding words to the text. No, you're not. You're you're translating, right? Like that's what you're doing. You do it all the time. Right. And and again, it would be one thing if the entire Protestant case relied on this singular verse. But once again, it's it's the product of walking through Romans three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all of Galatians. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it is interesting. And I just wanted to read some Martin Luther today. I will link this again in the notes because it could reading his translation notes by the end. He's, he uses, he calls people asses like 25 times. <laughs> like it is, it's, I mean, it's frankly incredible. Uh, but like, but you just, it just is bring it back, bring, bring it back in after, translation notes. The hilarious thing is the letter ends after he like spends a little time insulting the tyranny of the Pope of, you know, of all the things. And he's like, Oh, my letter's getting a little too long on translation all for now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, he, he realizes like, Oh man, I spent, I just took a quite a bit of time here to, have to insult people. That wasn't what I was writing about. I'm done. Bye. Um, so, Pastor Michael, this next thing um, we because we're trying to hit on the big things here. The next thing we are going to hit up hit uh, we are going to hit on is Roman Catholic Eucharist practice, um, and it's one apparently coming coming to a town near you maybe. Uh, so here we go. Let me find it. Here we are. But just wait until you hear about what's happening next year. Here's how we did it. First, you're going to need a pretty. So this is about a. Eucharistic pilgrimage, the longest one that's ever going to happen in the United States. Hardcore priest and Father Stephen, who's a former army captain, was right by. Second, you're getting the team so Bridget, Lauren, and I assisted Will, who's the organizer of the whole operation. And third, you're gonna need a plane. And lucky for us, Will owns a company which literally organizes US-based walking pilgrimages. Making dope pilgrimages is literally his day job. We walked eight days from parish to parish. At night, we would stay at host houses of different parishes. At one point in the week, as we were walking, I remembered how scripture tells us that all creation is shouting his praises. And here we were in the beautiful countryside, walking past horses and cows and dogs barking and birds chirping, all shouting his praises as Jesus passed them by. And it was an incredibly moving experience for me. The craziest thing about this is that it's just a test run for the absolutely massive Eucharistic pilgrimages happening here in the U.S. next year. Leading up to the Eucharistic Congress, four different teams will start from California, Texas, Minnesota, and Connecticut. They're gonna walk thousands of miles in Eucharistic procession, and they're all gonna convene in Indianapolis right before the National Eucharistic Congress. Happening in June, I think? I don't know. Check the link in my bio. He's probably gonna walk through your city. So bad. So Pastor Michael. Oh man, I'm just in a, such a different world. A, a world I love, by the way. But you are exposing me to things that I've I know I've seen, but not like this. So Pastor Michael, next year in July, there is going to be the largest Eucharistic pilgrimage across the continental United States. So I I've told this story, I think, on the podcast before. 
of visiting Italy. Uh, sorry to this is not a flex on on travel, um, but visiting Italy <laughs> and seeing a Eucharistic uh, procession going through the streets um, like but I don't know if it was a holiday or if this is just the normal thing that happens on Sundays in this particular town. Right. Someone going in front and behind it with feathers like they're being basically a float. Right. Like people like shouting the rosary all around it as it like, you know, goes down the street. And I had this moment of being like, dang, that is a different religion. And it, and I think, again, in America, uh, people have often said, and I think it's true, that because Catholicism often takes on the character of the culture that it goes to, um, you can just see it in different places with the different practices in Catholicism. And I don't think they think that's a bad thing. So I don't, right. at, uh, on this particular note, I'm not attempting to make anyone <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, it's a pretty Protestant form. It's a pretty tamed. Yeah, it's definitely Protestantized, form. without a doubt. It's a pretty tame form of what is pretty universal in the catholic religion around the world and this is a tiny taste of of this practice so pastor michael uh when you see when you see this this idea of a eucharistic uh pilgrimage what do you have any what are your thoughts as a protestant pastor dude it's so silly it's so silly and it's just one of those things where like how how um, how similar you find this kind of thing. This is just what we were talking about before with the aesthetics. But this kind of practice of making this big show of the sacrament, instead of just partaking in it, right? Like instead of just uh, the, the scriptural teaching on the Lord's Supper is actually pretty straightforward. It's pretty. Uh, it it it's not extravagant like this. Um, you know, even the, the the very. I mean, obviously, the very idea of like a, you know, uh, you're going to do this kind of of walking, walking around like this pilgrimage. Like that's okay. Um, like that's just obviously like you're just making that up. Um, you can say, well, it came from you know the seed of the apostle Peter, and so it it has some some important meaning or whatever, but like it is, this is, this is so far from anything that you find um, in, in scripture itself, unless you do the kind of typology move where you say, well, <laughs> when a queen mother wife person Wait. talks to the king, that's just like uh, Mary speaking to Christ on our behalf, even though you as a believer can just speak to Christ directly and to the father directly, <laughs> it's more necessary that you speak first to his mother in a way that he never commanded. Right. Like it's just very similar, right? Like you're, you're, you're literally just, you're, you're coming up with this and Hey, you were walking through the countryside, which you're probably from a city and you probably get into the countryside and you're like, wow, like God's voice in creation is clearer out here. And that's, yeah, like you, you're probably surrounded with all kinds of distractions. Um, if you're the kind of guy that makes this kind of video and you like, yes, um, it is true that you can see the glory of God and all of creation praising him. Um, it, guess what? It's doing that when you're not walking by too, right? Because Christ is Lord 
and present in that place, even apart from you walking there, right? Well, let's let's be clear. He said we got to see all this while Jesus was walking by. Yeah, right? like, um, I, I again, I, I can't underscore the point that Mike, Pastor Michael, is making enough that I actually think you could find this kind of a religious action moving, like that, and that, like, it shows a level of devotion. What you don't find is a single verse in the New Testament that would support any form of religion like this. Well, Matt, Paul went on pilgrimages right. this by is, traveling. <laughs> but this, right, like, this is where you get to like, well, it would be like, and again, this is how these things develop. It would be fitting if we said this. It would be fitting if we celebrated things this way. But I right. if if the the Eucharist, right? If if the elements literally turn into the physical presence of Christ, right. then walking around with it is Jesus physically walking around on the earth. Right. That's and, true. And you take the fragrance of Christ with you, right? Again, I can I can I I can imagine where this is going, but I want to speak to any of our Protestants, especially young Protestants who may be either unsettled by certain like uh, conservative Roman Catholic claims or just wonder, you know, about things like this. Um, I just want to read a verse from Colossians to you because I literally, again, I think that we, we read it in our teaser, but I want to focus on the whole verse. This is Colossians 2, um, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. This is why I want to speak to my Protestants. Because let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify your faith in Christ. And what are the things someone might use that you should not listen to? Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together in its joints and ligaments, growing out from a growth that is from God, right? And then he describes asceticism a few verses later, right? If with Christ you died to the spirits of this world, why do you still, if you were alive to the world, why do you submit to regulations? Like do not handle, do not taste, or do not touch, referring to things that perish according to precepts and human teachings. These do have an appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion and mm. asceticism severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh i grant that many of the roman catholic practices can look wise and they have many good scholars and they may even look powerful to you or to others or on their exteriors but they have no power to stop the sinful flesh that is what we have by the yeah. working of christ by faith by his grace applied to us by the Holy Spirit. That's power. Right. And here's the like, here's the danger in this stuff. You might think, well, what's the, I mean, what's the big deal? Right. Like, what isn't it like to show devotion, to like get to engage in stuff? Great. Um, we're talking about a system that then says, oh, and like, you know, um, you know, not only is this happening, but you know, those who take part in this, well, they get to go to heaven sooner. Mm -hmm. right like it's it's on that level right like like you have okay well if you can't do this sort of thing 
Um, if you can't make these kinds of pilgrimages, if you can't take part in these kinds of fasts, if you can't do whatever, um, you are objectively further from knowing Christ and meeting Christ in heaven. That, like that's a really serious deal. And maybe when you are some like, you know, young, hip, I can, you know, just work, work from Instagram kind of tech bro. You can say, yeah, like you can go and do it. Um, you like you can. Yeah. If you're super wealthy, you you're going to be able to do a lot of things that get you ahead. Right. Like, but if you're just a regular person, you got to work all the time. Right. You all you have time for is you can just go to church. Right. Like that's you can go to church and you pray with your family. And you read the Bible. Um uh, well, guess what? You are, you cannot be truly holy. You will never be sainted. You will never be like the, you know, the real Christians. That's, that is the system that develops from this kind of thing. That's right. And Pastor Michael, do you know who you sound a lot like? Dr. Martin Luther. Cause those are the people he was most concerned about. Yeah. That they were being held under tyranny, that the, that the, the, the sacraments had become a wall in front of the people that um, burdens were being heaped on them, that they would have, they would have no hope and all for money and power. Um, and so pastor Michael, let us go to our next one. What is our next one? Um, okay. I know. Oh, Pastor Michael, you are going to love, I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. This guy is apparently a fairly well-known um, Roman Catholic, uh, like very young apologist. Uh, and I guess I should say that uh, this is a Roman Catholic apologist, not the newest and youngest member of My Chemical Romance. So just to be clear, just to be clear. Christians can't celebrate Halloween. My kid wearing a superhero fit is pagan. This is literally religious OCD. Halloween is a Catholic holiday, but many non-Catholic Christians, aka Protestants, believe anti-Catholic or pagan sources claiming that Halloween is pagan, despite their evidence being complete trash and utterly surpassed by solid evidence pointing to the Catholic Church originating this holy day. Halloween honors the people in heaven, which makes sense why the Protestants wouldn't like it, since they think Catholics commit idolatry when venerating saints or necromancy when asking the saints for prayers. This Halloween is pagan propaganda started after the Protestant revolt. And the revolt was led by a man who protested against the Catholic Church largely due to his religious OCD. But Satanists are making this holiday satanic and holding rituals. Okay, you think I'm going to let a Satanist dictate what a Christian holiday is? Just listen to the church. Go celebrate All Hallows' Eve. <laughs> so, Pastor Michael. Uh... This is such a mess because it is goofy when, like, certain kinds of, of Protestants are like, yep, yeah, like, Halloween is like this this um kind of weird like this is just an uh this it comes from these it's a it's the same with the christmas people right like well the tree is pagan because of this so right same with halloween right well when you go and you knock on the door it's just like this thing that happened in this you know celtic religion and and where you know they would open the door and you know there's just a lot of that kind of stuff going on with these weird and act like literally just sometimes just made up stuff about the history of some kind of pagan religion and how now that's that's what we're doing and so that <laughs> let me just also then say and also a most modern halloween practice is pagan and, and outright wicked like that's both those things are true so he is right about that correct he is right about the origin 
of All Hallows Eve. Yes. Now, Pastor Michael, uh, just in case someone is listening via audio uh, and they did not take my advice and make this a video show, why did I feel the need to differentiate this young up-and-coming catholic apologist from a member of an emo screamo band yeah um, so he's got all kinds of face paint on and he's dressed i don't know what he's dressed up as but he do, i mean he does look like somebody from my chemical romance or like that he kind of looks like the the misfits kind of face you know yeah. what i mean uh yeah. I that's how he's that's how that's what he looks like i think it's uh like a you know skeleton is it of, just for this video this is not like what he always looks like right i think it's just for this video okay good <laughs> So, Pastor Michael, I think it's a hilarious thing that he's like, but like, there's there's a few hilarious things about this. Number one, right? Again, obviously, he makes tons of videos. I'm just picking on this one because, you know, there's Halloween. I'll tell you, when I saw this video, nothing made me want to go, I'm going to make this Reformation Day even harder now. <laughs> you know, I I don't have a particular objection to Halloween. But I'm like, well, maybe now I do. <laughs> I'm gonna now. Yeah. Now, now let's let's go with the hilarious thing about this, right? Uh, you know, everyone like double down on Halloween, Roman Catholics. This is how we're gonna own the Protestants. We're gonna change the culture. So yeah, that's right, Roman Catholics. Put like a hundred blow up molds in your yard of vampires and dead people and make sure you lean into every horror movie haunted house thing that's how we'll show our piety take that oh <laughs> uh, i'd rather you go on a just a walk across the united states right and call it a pilgrimage you know just for the record pastor michael let's let's read a quick uh, clip from someone who's apparently familiar with his work he also dresses up like ken from barbie and sings about how being a trad calf keeps him single. <laughs> so apparently he is a, a is known for his costumes at time. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Again, it is interesting. Uh, so, all right, that one was good. We are going to go back to the first guy we started with, and it is a video on how perhaps Protestantism is the cause of every single evil in the world today. So, um I hope everyone is ready for a claim that I'm sure will be backed so, uh, so, so well and, and, and clearly. It was British. Oh, we, got, we got, again, we need to see it from the beginning. I don't. It's the same guy, right? This guy with a good voice. I like this guy, by the way. I like his voice. I think you're going to like it when he says that you're the cause of all evil. That Protestantism <laughs> is to blame for everything bad that's ever happened in the world. Okay, not everything bad that's ever happened in the history of the world. It's only to blame for every bad thing that's ever happened since the Protestant Reformation. It's <laughs> actually true. If you look into it, it's actually true. All of the bad things that came in the last 500 years actually came out of Protestantism. For example, <laughs> you know that Freemasonry was started by It was British Protestants that started the Freemason Society on June 24th, 1717. And did you know that Freemasonry eventually came to undermine all religion and Freemasonry was trying to unite the world under the one religion of Freemasonry? <laughs> Not only that, Freemasonry is what led to communism. So we have communism because of Freemasonry. We have Freemasonry because of Protestantism, because the first Freemasons were all British Protestants. There weren't any Catholics, there weren't any Jews, there weren't any atheists, there weren't any Muslims. None of those groups were the first Freemasons. It was all Protestants. 
And the Catholic Church does deserve some blame too, because the Catholic Church let the Protestant heresy get as big as it did. But that was because politics was involved. But yes, every bad thing that has ever happened in the world can always be traced back to schism. When schism happens, evil happens. <laughs> I can't tell if it's a joke. No, no, it's, it's not a joke, man. Like, he made a joke at the beginning. He's like, well, you know, every bad thing that happens <laughs> in the world uh, go, comes back to Protestantism. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, just since the Protestant Reformation, every bad thing. And then we get the we get into the wild Freemason stuff. And that's where I, I did a spit take of Oktoberfest. I love that we just watched a video where it was like, hey, those crazy Protestants that say, look, this is some pagan religion that people are celebrating with Halloween. And then we watch this one and it's like, well, the Freemasons who are establishing a one-world government are Protestant, right? Like, that's wild. That's that's just uh, very funny. I mean, I, I mean, right? Uh, again, as as he's you know, as he is wanting to be clear that nothing bad that's ever happened in the world has stemmed from the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> a Muslim, or a Jew. So, just to be clear to everyone, uh, man. Ah, that's the one. The one tiny grain of truth here is the seriousness of schism. Yeah, the seriousness of schism. Perhaps this is a good moment to point out that the early Protestant reformers uh, appeared to have no desire to be divided from um, the high, even the hierarchy of the Catholic Church yeah. in the 1500s. Yeah. Um. Now. Um, but Pastor Mike, when we think about schism, right? Let's let's let us let's actually think about schism for a moment, because I think that's the one really important thing he said. Because obviously, the claim he just made is um, completely indefensible and laughable, and everyone is having a good time because of how bad an idea that was. Um, yeah. Other than like, dude, there is you know that the like this was his video. Like, this is how I get the conspiracy theorists on board. Because the moment I say Freemasons, all they see is red. And they like <laughs> whatever the last thing they just heard was um, schism. So schism, right? If Pastor Michael, let me know if I'm defining the sin of schism correctly, right? That would be um, me shutting out true believers, dividing myself from true believers, cutting up the church of Jesus Christ in a way that um, God, Jesus would not have us do. Um, or perhaps even claiming that I and, and, you know, the you know we're in the wisconsin presbytery we are the true church there aren't we are divided from all churches because we are the only ones going to heaven right that would be yep. the sin of schism yeah, there's no salvation outside of our piece of of the kingdom of god or you might even just say right somebody who anathematizes mm. um, those others who are true believers so it would be it would be hard to imagine something more schismatic than putting the location of your church and its bishop in the name of the church and anathematizing everyone outside of that bishop's jurisdiction <laughs> e.g the roman catholic church right. um and especially now that the roman catholics recognize um uh, since Vatican II, sorry, maybe these guys don't want Vatican II, probably don't. Right, so. right. This is the Tradcath way, right? We're it's, not into Vatican II. But but councils don't err. <laughs> don't err. And this one was in the Vatican. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there it's a, 
um, Protestants are one, it recognizes Protestant baptism as true baptism, and two, as brothers of divided brethren. That means if you claim you are the only true church on earth, my friends, by your own definition, you are committing the sin of schism. Mm. And probably most bad things that have happened in the world are your fault. Position, <laughs> lots of bad things. But yeah, you just imagine, you know, imagine when you know Paul goes, Paul goes to the synagogues and he's preaching Christ to the church, right? To the visible church on on earth at that time. He goes to the church and he says, "Here's the gospel," and um, there are many who listen, and then some of the Jews run him out, right? They persecute him. They run him out of there. Uh, and he shakes off his feet and he he turns to the Gentiles and they say, why why are you committing the sin of schism? <laughs> why, right. No, get back here. We would like to kill you. Why are you dividing from us? Why, yep. what, why ever would you do? I don't understand why you don't want to just believe what we're telling you to believe. Right. Yep. All right. Pastor Michael, let's, we got, I got it. I mean, I have countless more of these, but I've got at least two more that we might gotta be do these more often. We could do it for the Patreon anyway. We, we like reacting to these kinds of things. This is just fun. It'd be fun to throw one of these in once in a while. Yeah. So, um, this one I decided we had to do because this one actually, and it's surprisingly, it involves a Mark Driscoll meme front. And so, uh, so hopefully uh, this will be interesting to those who who are interested in that content. solid crossover. Yep. Uh, he wasn't baptized. So how can you say that baptism saves? Look, if you want to know what baptism is and what it does, you really should look at the Bible verses that tell us what baptism is and what it does. And the thief on the cross bit isn't talking about baptism. So that passage won't tell us whether baptism saves. Baptism saves? Oh, come on. Dude, you ever heard of the thief on the cross? Yes, but instead of determining our baptismal theology based on the thief on the cross, which is not about baptism, we should look at tight this three, where Paul tells us that the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, aka baptism, has saved us. We should look at Romans 6, where he tells us that baptism makes us dead to sin and alive to Christ, which is another way of saying baptism saves. And I don't know, maybe we should look at 1 Peter 3, where the apostle explicitly says baptism now saves you. So, regardless of the thief on the cross, because the Bible clearly says that baptism saves, we should also be able to say baptism saves. Baptism saves? No, not again. All right. Protestants. This is actually, this is not even Roman Catholic. I mean, it, obviously it's from a Roman Catholic account, I think, right? It is. Um, that's it, a that's from Lutheran satire. Also, so by the way, um, Protestants say it with me now. Baptism saves. We can, you can you can say that everybody. We can, and I know that like a lot of us grew up in church traditions that are horrified uh, by by that uh, particular idea, but we can say that. Um, the problem, of course, both one Roman Catholics and Lutherans do not agree with even what baptism. The, right. the, the that's one of the funny things about a Catholic account using Lutheran right. satires audio in order to make this. But right, they don't agree on what it means that baptism saves. Um, however, the the problem is, well, 
what did what did the rest of, and I, now I'll just say when I was in a really caged stage of sacramental efficacy and talking about the need to baptize infants, I would tell I would tell friends and I, I'll say this is the worst one. I would even tell guys in seminary, well, baptism saves. And I had so many people say, no, no, no. Um, and obviously, especially if you're in a if you're in a reformed seminary, pretty bad if 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 you don't have an I like if you just whole whole like wholly reject what I just said. But now again, let's let's go to the verse. Uh yes. the verse is in first Peter three. This is first Peter three twenty-one. Baptism, which corresponds to this, speaking of Noah's Ark now saves you not as a removal of dirt but as an appeal to god for a good conscience through the resurrection of jesus christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of god oh interesting where jesus is with angels authorities and powers having been subjected to him so the problem with this perspective, and and in, frankly, the way uh, even Hans uses this, our our who Lutheran satire, nothing but love to that guy. Uh, I love his video about. Uh, I mean, I especially love his Reformation Day one where he throws every other Protestant other than the Lutherans under the bus. It's a very Lutheran thing to do. We love yeah. you guys. We love. Um, but the problem is the verse doesn't just stop with well, baptism saves, and that's what we're supposed to say about it. It saves not as a washing with water. It right. seems that there is a, that the application of water is not the particular thing about baptism that is most important. Yes. But as that it is the sign, it is the seal of a good conscience before the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That it, it has to do with an inward reality uh, produced by relationship to Jesus Christ. Um, right. It is because it is a covenant sign, right? Just as, uh, we have in the story of Noah the covenant signs of the ark passing through water. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Pastor Michael, let's do one more of these. Um, and it is because it's five things every Catholic should know. So certainly this will take us up to the end of this this live stream because uh, five things is a lot of things we're going <laughs> to learn about Catholicism in a moment here. Um, let me refresh it just so we don't miss any of these wonderful things. The things. On my list, both the Bible and sacred tradition are sources of divine revelation. That's the first oh. thing. Two, revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. That's one that most Catholics don't know. They don't realize that there's no new continuing revelation after the last apostle, John. There's no new revelation. Three, sacraments are necessary for salvation. Four, speaking of necessary sacraments, the Eucharist is not just symbolic, but the real presence of Jesus Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine. And then finally, orthodoxy is not enough. We have a lot of very orthodox faithful Catholics around here at St. Michael's, but we always want to point out orthodoxy is not enough. We need holiness and we need joyfulness. Uh, I think he only did four, but we will we will stop there because what he did was sacred tradition and the Bible are both sources of divine revelation. Um, there has been no new revelation since the death of the apostles. The Eucharist is the real presence of the 
of Jesus Christ and orthodoxy is not enough. You need holy. And you missed the, the fifth one that you missed was uh, that uh, the sacraments are necessary for salvation. Okay. Sacraments are necessary for salvation. So, um, Pastor Michael, uh, why don't you, we start here with the sacred tradition in the Bible, our divine source of revelation and no new uh, revelation. Then we can work, move on to the sacraments. Uh, Let's do it. So one time um, I went to a Maundy Thursday uh, service at a Roman Catholic church time of year that we uh, focus on, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, part of Holy Week and we're, we're focusing on um, the, the coming death of, of Christ um, and the entire homily was this uh, Catholic priest, pretty local to where we are here, um, just preaching about how the Bible is not enough and you need tradition. It actually had nothing to do with Christ the whole time. It was super sad. Mm. It was so sad. I was like, this is like, it's like if I came up with like a, a meme of, you know, what a Roman Catholic priest would be like, and I know they're not all like that, but I, like if I came up with that meme, it would be like this guy. And, and I went to the service and I was like, that's like, you're doing, you're doing the meme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so pastor Michael, um, what do you, what do you think about this claim of sacred tradition and, and scripture, both being sources of divine, divine, uh, revelation? Yeah. Is that, so does he say both sources of divine revelation? Is that how he says it? Uh, we can play just the very first moments of this again. What are five things that every Catholic should know? First one on my list, both the Bible and sacred tradition are sources of divine revelation. Okay, yep, he does. Um, so, uh, the move to make, um, both scripture and tradition as, um, these kinds of parallel, the parallel authorities, um, that both of these are, are divine revelation, um, in, in a similar sense. Right. And that's what he's getting at, right. That's the point, right. That this, these are, these are both authoritative. Um, and so this is to, you know, um, say, hey, it's not just what the Bible says, but also what the tradition has established over time. Um, and if you ask what that tradition is, well, it's very complicated. One might say convoluted. It's never all been written down anywhere. So you don't really know what it is, but it's there, right? Like it's it's all there coming down from, from the apostles. Just, of course, it's there. <laughs> it's there. It was there the whole time. Uh, anyway, it what it inevitably does is it does lead to one of those things actually becoming the kind of highest source of, of revelation. Um, and it is not scripture, right? It's not, it's not the Bible. Um, because when you have um, tradition as put, and this is, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of times is, is used as a bludgeon, you know, you Protestants, you don't believe in, in tradition or the authority of tradition. No, of course, we, we do. Um, at least we do. I like, sure. Yeah. Are there people that don't? Yeah. Right. You've got like a, a billion people that don't go to church except once a year. So like, let's, of course there are people who, who believe silly things. Um, but no, of course we believe in the authority of tradition. Um, even in the way that we might say that God has worked by his spirit through uh, the the tradition of the church, um, but it is 
it is distinct from when we talk about the way that God has revealed himself most fully in Christ, his word, right? And, and, and in his word, this is how he has made himself known. That's right. This is, again, this is why sola scriptura is important. We are saying that scripture is in a category of its own. There are, I am to submit to elders. I am to submit to, uh, in the church, I'm to submit to my parents. They're an authority. Um, I, the tradition of the church, the way the church does things has authority, has value, has importance. The way the church unified at councils is important. But the role scripture has is completely unique. It is the voice of God to which everyone must kneel without question. And there is nothing else in that category. Right. Um, and, and again, it's this like, it's this amazing move, right? Because obviously it's, it makes sense when you think about it from a Roman Catholic thing that he says also all revelation stopped after the apostles, man, it is fascinating though, that somehow councils though, cannot air, give us the unerring will of God and answers to all our questions. And that the Pope speaks as the vicar of Christ, which is a term used for the Holy ghost revealing to the, the word of God, to the apostles, right? On earth, he is the Holy Father. I don't know how, at it, even if we would say it's not divine revelation, it has all the characteristics and authority of divine mm -hmm. revelation. Yeah, it's interesting. And it, it gets you in this kind of, uh, you know, moral conduct. I You know, I'm interested, you know, maybe our Roman Catholic listeners can tell us, but I, I mean, is it, do is this the commonly held Roman Catholic belief that there is no more revelation? Um, or at least I guess, I mean, maybe we're just, you know, um, defining revelation a little bit different, but it just seems like that actually is not common that there is, you know, I mean, there are plenty of, of, of people that believe that, you know, there are, there are, uh, you know, saints and others who have, I mean, Christ has spoken to them. Um, he's, they've, you know, they've seen him, they've received visions and dreams, you know, I've, Mary speaks from the sky yeah, to, I, right? Like that's, it seems to me like there are, you know, and I may be conflating some of those things. Um, it's late, forgive me for that. But I, I mean, it seems like you do actually believe in continuing revelation, number one. Number two, um, if, if you say revelation has stopped, but then you say, oh, you know, but we do have these, you know, it's the word of God is both in the written scriptures, but also in the tradition, right? But you can't show me what that is, right? right? Hey, what, what is the tradition going to tell us in a hundred years, in 500 years? Um, you know, what is the tradition going to start revealing to us about climate change through, uh, you know, uh, the wonderful Pope Francis, right? What, like, what are we going to, what are we getting? What is the tradition going to tell us about homosexuality and, and all of the typology of, you know, David and Jonathan that, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, our Roman Catholic friends say those things. I'm just saying that like, when you have this, this vague, mysterious tradition that doesn't actually have a, like, it's not all written down somewhere. You don't have a standard to which you can say, look, this is what we've always believed. Look, here it is. When you don't have that, then, then you can, you can very obviously just start saying, 
here it is. This is what we've always believed. So you can do things like you can uh, you can say that not only um, do we use images and venerate images in worship, but you have to. And that's the that is the faith that has always been right from the apostles. You can say that kind of stuff, even though you have like that's obviously not true, <laughs> right? That's not actually borne out in the actual tradition, even. You right. can just say that. Right. As one pope once famously said, I am tradition. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is the most like Senator Palpatine move ever. <laughs> Senate. Uh, I, I know. Uh, so, Pastor Michael, I think we're going to leave it there. <laughs> things, but I think it's a good place to leave it. We do love um, you if you're a Roman Catholic. Um, and because we are classical Protestants, we do believe there can be true Christians and true churches inside of Rome. Yep. And we would just beg you on behalf of the scripture's teaching to abandon the idolatry of the mass, the illegitimacy of the Pope who has no authority here, um, and every practice that would disrupt the conscience and faith of someone who has faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. And we, and we believe that. And if you we're Protestant and, and that's what we're sticking with, right? Like, and not only, so not only are we Protestant, like not only am I Protestant, I know um, in certain corners of Protestantism, it's like, you're supposed to be ashamed of it. You're supposed sure. to like feel bad about it almost. And, and a lot of that is because there are certain right now um, for, for at least a little while, I think this is changing, but there was a time where it seemed like, man, there was a, uh, just kind of like a, a pretty significant rise in in Roman Catholic apologists and influencers and things like that, uh, where it just seemed like I just knew a lot of Protestants that were like, yeah, just now I feel bad about it. You know, maybe maybe I don't believe, you know, what the church fathers believed. And, I'm you know, maybe, well, maybe, you know, I don't like all these things about the Protestant church and stuff. You know what? I love being Protestant. Mm. Like I love like it makes me happy. You talk about holiness and joyfulness. Man, we got it. And I, like I love I love to be Protestant. That's right. Pastor Michael, what it sounds like you were describing there uh, may have been a Jesuit trick. And <laughs> we do not allow Jesuit tricks here on the Restless Podcast. No, we I don't. Share in closing, uh, you throw the balloons to celebrate Protestantism. I'd just like to share a real post from Urban Dictionary uh, to, to close us out. Regarding <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> so, Pastor Michael, this is just the current you know, Urban Dictionary, which which catalogs probably the last time we're just pulling up Urban Dictionary on the Restless Pod. I was very obviously I wasn't going to just yeah. a <laughs> random uh, entry, but this is the term for under a Jesuit. <laughs> a Jesuit is a name given to someone who aims to disunify within a squad by means of playing tricks and or backstabbing, usually in the interest of other crews. <laughs> Peter, why does Ignatius keep accidentally scoring at our goal? He's busting our game. Paul, he's probably a Jesuit. <laughs> so I would like to encourage you that whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant, you are welcome to use that that urban dictionary slang. You can, you can describe whatever you want as a Jesuit. So we love everybody all the time. We are we are happy Protestants. You can come to my house for a uh, hot apple cider tomorrow night and candy. Uh, but Pastor Michael, I think there's only one way for us to go out as reformed Protestant pastors. 
we are going to listen to the boys sing the lord is my shepherd on our way out thank you if you sat in the live chat with us um thank you to everyone who will listen to this later we really love making the show This is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast, where there are three different ways, starting at just $3 a month, that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content at least one extra episode a week and often more. Not to mention the Restless Telegram channel that you'll have access to 24 seven to interact with all the other patrons. If you want more Restless in your life, this is the way. Go to patreon.com backslash the Restless Podcast. Okay, back to the show. <laughs>